0: And the verses there, are Hello. 21 to 41. i'll give you the title just yet little quiz to make sure you're awake apologies for the portuguese pronunciation pedro didn't get a chance to check it with you uh, carandiru prison c-a-n-a-n-d-i-r-u carandiru or diary prison sound reasonably okay that's okay <laughs> I don't think we've uh, any of our Polish friends in this morning, but I mentioned Anna, so that can't can't be corrected. Poznan. So we've got two words so far Arandaro prison. Poznan. Broadwater farm. Now it's going to get a little bit easier for you. Rixton. Now it's going to get really easy. Drum cream. What do they all have in common? Anyone hazard a guess? Riots, a riots. Definite famous riots in history. And today we're off to a riot. Uh, we're off to the riots at Ephesus. Thankfully it's not a real one that we have to visit, but one that's been recorded by Luke here in Acts chapter 19. It happened right in the middle of the first century AD. Now it's not a usual thing, I'd imagine, that anyone would find a riot helpful. Unless of course you were providing weapons for those who were taking part or selling refreshments for those who were wearing after the battle. But this riot is a help for us. This This riot will be a help for the Christian today as we look at it. Because maybe as a Christian you come along and you're up against it. It's difficult. Someone is making life difficult for you. This riot at Ephesus is going to be a help. Maybe someone is thinking about becoming a Christian. Well, there are truths here at this riot that you need to know before you commit your life to Jesus Christ. If you're interested this morning, and I'm sure you are, about how the church can make an impact on the city, that people will lay aside all of their different idols, we're going to learn at this riot, how that happens. If you come this morning and you're full of worry as you look out at the world, and it seems every week that there are fresh waves of trouble for the Christian church uh, abroad and at home, there's help for us at this riot. So let's go to the riot, at least Luke's kind of it, as God, the Holy Spirit, carried him along. And we're going to see just three things. I didn't put them up this morning. So we'll give you the quiz, but the points are easy. We're going to simply look at the beginning of the riot uh, in the first place. We're then going to see something of the reason for the riot. And then we're going to see something of how the, the riot calmed down, or how it was quelled. Quelling of the riot. So first of all, the beginning of the riot. When any riot begins, the police surely want to know how and why it started. So let's do some investigation into why this riot at ephesus started i've already given you a little bit of background i think last lord's day about the city of ephesus and not said too much of it. just simply to remind you it was a very large city uh estimated of 250,000 people it was the capital of the roman province of asia if you're not familiar with roman provinces think of where turkey is in the map behind me behind me and Uh, Over on the western side of that, you would have found the city of Ephesus. It was a a vast uh, populous city, it was an economic hub, there were all sorts of land routes in and out of this city in all different directions. It was on the Keister River and there there was a port nearby and uh, they had connections with all over the known world, so it was a very important city. It was also an important city for the religious people of the day. It was a city that was full of idols. I think I mentioned some of those before for you. But it was most renowned for the worship of Artemis or Diana. It's the same god, false god. Artemis is the Greek uh, way of writing this uh, goddess's name. And Diana, as appears in some Bible translation, is simply the Latin of the name. Maybe you're an expert in, in uh, Greek mythology, and you might know that uh, Artemis in Greek mythology was the was the beautiful goddess of hunting. Well, the uh, the people of Ephesus had their own version of Artemis, and uh, the the idol that they had, the goddess that they had, especially the idol of her, was more grotesque than graceful i'll swear you having a picture in your mind i've seen some of the pictures of the idols in preparation and i'm not uh, impose that on you it was a grotesque idol that they'd set up in the worship of artemis So the people came in their droves to to ephesus for this primary reason to worship the goddess artemis or diana there was a huge temple made it was known as one of the seven wonders of the world with uh, 127 huge pillars of this uh, beautiful roof that could be seen from many different directions and there the people came uh, and as they worshipped this false goddess Artemis or Diana, they engaged in all sorts of uh, wickedness and immorality and that was the city that God in his great love for these idolaters and gross uh, Grossly immoral people, that's where God sent his mission team of Paul and his friends. Isn't God gracious? Isn't he kind? Uh, The scriptures tell us, for God so loved the world. And you just have to see this mission team of Paul and his friends coming into Ephesus to see God loves the world. And we saw previously that Paul's ministry there had been for uh, two, nearly three years. And it had been very effective. I read for you in verse 10 that his work there continued for two years at that point. So that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Both Jews and Greeks that Many have been converted and the gospel has rippled out into into a vast territory around the city of Asia. Not saying that all of them were converted. Many of them were. But certainly a great host of people had heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How kind and full of love God is for the lost and in verse 20 we read the word of the lord continued to increase and prevail mightily and that makes it very interesting then when we read verse 21 but after this great gospel expansion and while it's going on now after these events paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So Paul, uh, in in the midst of this great expansion of the gospel, he is being directed surely by God, the Holy Spirit, that he's going to leave that region. And he, he wants to go where the gospel has not yet been proclaimed. He wants to go to Rome. And as you know from the book of Romans and other parts of the New Testament, he wanted to go far beyond Rome to Spain, to the ends of the earth, as it were, was to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, uh, well, God's ways are often different from ours, aren't they? We would have thought the most logical thing would have been for Paul to stay another five years here. God's ways are different. You find that in your life, haven't you? But sometimes God's ways are unexpected. Now, don't be surprised. That's a normal thing in the Christian life. And so Paul begins to make plans. He... We're told in verse 22, having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus. So he's getting, he's dispatching the team. There's other work to be done in other places. But we're told that he himself stayed in Asia for a while. He's got, as we would say, some loose end <coughs> to tidy up. And that was part of the love of God and the wisdom of the apostle. And that's when the riot kicked off. That's when it all began. Verse 23, about that time when there's been this great success and when Paul is thinking of of moving on, at that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Now, when Luke writes no little disturbance, uh, that's a way in English of saying it was a giant disturbance. It was quite the opposite. We might say, well we, had, well, we had no small supper. We meant it was a huge spread. And so, Luke is saying here, this was a, a great disturbance. Uh, it wasn't like the rugby players at the rugby match and the commentators sometimes say, when well, there's a wee bit of a, a, a fisticuffs starting, starting up. The commentator said, oh, it's just a clash of handbags. This was no clash of handbags. This was a real riot. We're told that later on, and in verse 40, we're told it's a great commotion. And this seems to have been a repeat of trouble for Paul. It doesn't seem to be the first time that things were heating up for the Apostle Paul. When he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15 and 32, he, he talks about fighting the wild beasts of at Ephesus. don't think it was literally that he fought wild beasts, because he was a Roman citizen and wouldn't be cast into the... Uh, the, the local Colosseum, but he had a difficult time already and you'll see in verse 23 that this uh, this riot has been sparked because there's been a disturbance about the way wasn't that someone was asking directions to somewhere and somebody got it wrong at the third set of traffic lights it was so this was the, the manner that christians used to speak about Them following Jesus Christ. You know that uh, the word or the title Christians was a nickname that that, uh, some Gentiles had given at Antioch to the believers. But the believers seemed to have called themselves those who were following the way. You remember how Jesus said I am the way, the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except through me. And they'd started on this way they'd begun to follow. Be a Christian you have to do that. To have begun to follow the way and these people were, were following the way of Jesus Christ. And uh, you notice that it's the way. No other way to be reconciled to God but through faith alone in Christ alone. And that way, the way, clashes with every other world view. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. and You're on the way and you're following the way. Your your way of living, your way of believing will be at odds with everybody else's who's not following the way. you find found that, I'm sure. Jesus had told his disciples in John 16, 33, In this world, you will have trouble because you're on the way. And everyone else by nature is in the opposite direction. They're on the broad way that leads to destruction if they've not been converted. Faith in Christ And the Christian is on this one narrow way of following Jesus Christ and rejoicing in all he's accomplished on the cross. So don't be surprised Christian if your way of living if your way of speaking uh, uh, causes uh, a disturbance to flare up maybe even no little disturbance. I was Thinking about this sermon, I was thinking back, go oh, back to the early 80s when I was at university, and a young man, Bobby, was converted out of a, a Roman Catholic background and uh, full of the joys that he found salvation in Jesus Christ. And I remember how broken he was when he returned from his visit home and his family just utterly ostracized him. Just didn't want anything to do with him anymore because he was now in a, in a way of living and believing that was a the complete odds to all he'd been ever taught. Happens to those who follow Christ and so this is reminding us as Christians that being in the way will bring difficulties at times don't be shocked don't be knocked off by that and for the person not yet a Christian and thinking about becoming a Christian you need to know that there's a cost when you get in the way of following Jesus Christ and loving and serving him there will be those who oppose so that's the beginning of the rat, and already we've learned some things from a rat, or been reminded at least. But secondly, we want to notice the reason for the rat, because that's informative for us too. So the police are investigating some local rats, and uh, the police officers won't be content just to know that. Oh well, these are ranger supporters, and and these are uh, uh, Celtic supporters. Uh, that will not do. Uh, just to have a a reason for the trouble that was sparked outside the stadium they want to know well well what specifically was it what's what sparked it all off so in this instance we've got uh, these opposing kingdoms there's the kingdom of jesus christ and there's the the kingdom of darkness and they're in opposition and there's there's no little disturbance but what sparked this particular part (coughs) what was the reason, and Luke fingers the agitator of it all in verse 24, for a man named Demetrius. Common name in those days, and perhaps to clarify a little bit of who he is, and certainly to give us understanding why this happened, we're told his trade he was a silversmith. He crafted uh, all sorts of little trinkets out of silver. Uh, he and his colleagues and it would seem that Demetrius uh, in, in Bible times if you were a, a silversmith you belonged to the guild of silversmiths i think that's still the case actually for trades or if you had another trade you belong to that particular trades and uh, he seems to be in the head of the silversmith guilds he's got a bit of clout and he seems to be able to <clears throat> to gather uh, others together and he and his colleagues were uh, were actually doing very well out of making their little trinkets. They weren't just simply making their money out of making nice silver plates or little uh, bowls. Their particular speciality was making little uh, replicas uh, of the, the false goddess Artemis or Diana. And they said to you, it wasn't a very pretty thing to have on your mantelpiece. And the people coming to the, the festival to that was in May every year in, in Ephesus to, to worship Artemis. They would have gone home, every one of them nearly, with one of these little trinkets to put on the mantelpiece to remind them of the time that they'd had, but also to be the object of their worship and the worship of their family. And Demetrius and his colleagues have been rubbing their hands and were doing very well, thank you very much, uh, because of what they've been doing at the end of verse 25 we have our wealth and made a little fortune out of this ongoing activity but Demetrius and his colleagues are concerned verse 25 well verse 24 this is what he did Demetrius the silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis brought no little business to the craftsmen these he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, see the gathering of people he's put together here. he quite a bit of clout, this man. Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And uh, maybe he'd be doing the books for the quarter. Maybe he's noticing that compared to last year's quarterly returns that uh, takings are down. Maybe there's a wee bit of beard scratching going on at this conference and say, yeah, we've noticed as well things are down. Not the same cash flow these days. Finding it difficult to pay for the uh, raw materials because the money didn't come in the last time. And in verse 26, uh, Demetrius puts his finger on it. And you see and hear. You can see it. it. wasn't the same traffic of trade And they could hear all about it, that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, that's the province of Asia, this Paul, see how, in what a derogatory way he was speaking, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Well, that's very helpful. Thank you, Demetrius, for telling us and reminding us of that. Here is Demetrius, and though he's concerned only for the profit in his pocket, he reveals a wonderful truth for us to realize. That the city of Ephesus, that the surrounding region was being so powerfully changed by the gospel, that there weren't the same crowds at Demetrius' stall looking for a little goddess, that the footfall had decreased on that long. Uh, Pathway that there was out of the city towards the temple. That the gospel was powerfully transforming lives, and they were in danger of going out of business because people were being converted to Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful truth to remember this morning? Of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You as convinced about that, Christian, as you once were. That this good news about Jesus Christ can powerfully and mightily transform the hearts and lives of sinners like you and me. No matter how deeply they're into their idolatry. No matter how deep they're into the the gross immortality. Here are the people of Ephesus. And this pagan man Demetrius has realised that what Paul has been saying. He just summarises a bit of it. We know that there was more to what Paul was saying. That this preaching of the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ was turning their world upside down. And we need to remember that. We need to learn this lesson. What is it that is the power to change our province? A new slogan. That's what they'll try on the hill. New decade. What's the next bit? New approach. new approach thank you and we just smile because we know it's not going to work a huge financial bung from Westminster well that'll not work maybe a change in education structure maybe put all our resources into that and that will bring peace and harmony between people divided for centuries no It won't. There is only one thing powerful enough to break the power of idolatry in the human heart, be it the idolatry of worshipping Artemis or the idolatry of worshipping a piece of land or whatever it might be, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. What will empty the clubs of Belfast? We should pray for that. That they'll be bankrupt at the end of the year what will put I can't remember the name of the betting company bet 365 or whatever it is what will put them and all the rest out of business we should prefer that government legislation well that might help shouldn't be against that but there's only one thing powerful enough Demetrius realizes that breaks the power of idolatry in the human heart, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We live in a day when we see the idolatry in different ways in our province. We see the idolatry in the claims of people, my right, my body. That's just another way of expressing of idolatry, that I am the one who governs everything about me. The changes in The law of our land and legislation of same-sex marriage that's not only immorality but it's idolatry worship of what man wants what man will have and what will change it it's the gospel of jesus christ now don't get me wrong but please remember this balance it is right And it is proper at times for christian to give voice in protest against things of unrighteousness and defy the name of jesus christ but none of those things will topple the idolatrous heart of humanity only the gospel of jesus christ will so if we want to see the the wickedness of abortion done away with in our land, if we want to see the the, the, the wickedness of uh, same-sex marriage and homosexuality and transgender and all that goes with it, if we want to see that changed and that broken, you and I individually and you and I together in the life of the church must be obsessed in a godly way with the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what changes the nation. Demetrius could see it. Of course, Demetrius doesn't just go for one angle and he's not just speaks about the penny in his pocket. He's got a second wave of attack or a second way of trying to stir up and engender support for attacking the Christians. In verse 27, he, he gets all pious and all, uh, all uh, religious. And he says, And there's a danger not only that this trade of ours may come into dispute, disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Well, poor old Demetrius is so blinded to his sin he can't see even the folly of what he's saying. If Artemis is so great, why is he so worried? But Artemis isn't great. It's a figment of sinful human imagination and the lust of the flesh. But again, Artemis is showing us things that that are helpful here. Because he's realizing that when someone is converted, as many of the people in the regions were, that they realize that all the other gods that they'd Previously considered to be of value, are as nothing. You see the principle behind what he's doing here. So worried about artiness and the worship of that, but he's put his finger on something. As we peel it back, that when people are converted, what they once held to and loved as the thing that satisfies, as, a, as the thing that they must worship, is just nothing, because they find the one thing that they needed in their life Jesus Christ it was you remember how it was for Paul when he when he uh he gives to the the church at Philippi that wonderful summary of his coming to faith he he said these were the things that I once worshiped my religious background my religious activities the family that I belong to my knowledge of bible stuff but when I found Jesus Christ I, I added them all up, he said, and I, I, I found they came to nothing. Worse than nothing, actually, the word is. Because he'd found the one thing worthy of worship, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that your experience? It's the experience of every truly converted person. That the things that we previously believed, or if we were converted in, in childhood, the things that we would have believed, that everybody else, everybody else believes, we think as of utter rubbish because we find the answer to our guilt. We find the answer to the deepest needs of our lives in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But look at the response of the people. We're told their response, aren't we? We're told that they started this clamour in verse 28 when they heard this. They were enraged and were crying out, Greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. They just wanted to be reinforced in their error. They wanted to be ingrained in their immorality and their idolatry because that's the wickedness of the human heart. That in itself is helpful for us. We sometimes wonder why people are so captivated by. Uh, the wickedness of ISIS or some other horrific deed that has been done somewhere and the world just jumps out and says oh there's something mentally wrong well that might be the case for some individuals but the problem actually is the problem of the human heart it just loves its wickedness it just loves to be ingrained and told you're on the right path keep on in this path and that's what was happening to these people around Artemis They hear of this, they'll be struck in their pockets, their goddess will be seen as nothing, and they're ingrained further in their wickedness, and they begin this demonic chanting. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. It went on hour after hour, as if they were trying to drown out the things that they'd heard, that the Apostle Paul had preached. Isn't that what people do? Oh they mightn't be chanting out literally great is my own understanding, great is the way my fathers worship God great are my good works. But they'll find other things to to captivate their minds rather than think about the gospel of Jesus Christ. For some people it's that they throw themselves into excess immorality. Because they've heard the truth and I don't want that, I want to stay in this wicked path. Some people actually take up the groove of religious things. Well, I'm not going to leave my old way of trying to earn my, my being right with God. And that's what these people are doing here. Shouting and chanting. We're staying on track with Artemis. When what they needed to do was to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. He's a very informative rat, isn't it? Thirdly and finally, there was the quelling of the rat. Well, it would be interesting to have CCTV coverage, wouldn't it? Verse 29, so the city was filled with the confusion and they rushed together to the theatre, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. It was a lynch mob. It was actually Paul sure that they wanted to lynch, but they can't find him. But they get the next best thing, two of his friends, Gaius and Aristarchus, his companions. And there's such an intensity in this this seething mob in verse 32. Some of them cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. Most of them did not know why they'd come together. See what's happened? They've been caught up in it all. Where are you going? Well, I think we're all going to the theatre here, but I'm not sure why we're going. And the the noise is horrific. Now you need a little bit of background to understand what this going to the theatre was. They weren't going to the Grand Opera House. When it says they were going to the theatre, they were going to the amphitheatre. You can go and visit it still today. The remains of it in Ephesus. It was an amphitheatre. If you think of a modern football stadium and cut it in two and get rid of one half of it, and you get this amphitheatre-like thing and take out all the plastic seat well, actually take away all of it and put stone blocks in it place you this giant amphitheatre it held 25,000 people. Not an engineering feat. And the people were rushing to the amphitheatre because that's where the assembly was. That's where you could get things sorted out. The city of Ephesus was a free city. Romans ruled the area, it was the Roman province, but the Romans sometimes gave uh, rights to individual cities. You can look after yourselves, you can have your own laws, your own rules to a certain extent. Look after yourselves, make your own judgments, don't cause us any bother and you can live like that. And that was what Ephesus had. And so they had these gatherings of an, an assembly. Notice uh, the word assembly is used a number of times in this section. They had these gatherings of an assembly where you could come and get whatever it was sorted out. But this wasn't any regularised assembly. This was an impromptu gathering that the people were rushing to the theatre. We want a decision on Paul and his travelling capacity. We want them banned. We want this gospel done away with from our area because it's affecting business. It's affecting Artemis. And Paul got wind of it in verse 30. And naturally, because he loves uh, the people of God, he wanted to go and calm the crowd. The other disciples, his friends, wisely wouldn't let him. They knew it would make things worse. Verse 33 talks about Alexander, uh, whom the Jews were putting forward. It's most likely, couldn't be dogmatic about it, but most likely the Jews were saying, oh, things are getting tough for these Christians. Wouldn't want those... Other people in Ephesus to think that us Jews were anything to do with those Christians. Alexander maybe maybe you could go and tell the crowd we're not like those who are on the way and they hear that Alexander is a Jew they just don't want to hear him. But <clears throat> look what happens as it looks as if the church is going to be stopped its work in that part of the world. It looks as if the gospel is just going to fizzle out. We're told in verse thirty-one. Um, well in verse thirty-one. Uh, well, we're told actually, yes, that, 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 the, that the that the Asiarchs, uh, that these people called the Asiarchs, in verse uh, yes, verse thirty-one, and even some of the Asiarchs. Who were friends of his, that's Paul, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theatre. The Asiarchs were a group of people in the city of Ephesus. They were very wealthy people and they had a responsibility of looking after some of the finances. Uh, every year in May there was a great festival in, in Ephesus to worship Artemis. There were the Ephesian games. and so These Asiarchs, these high ranking people, uh, organized all of that sort of stuff. They weren't Christians, it doesn't seem. And Paul had connections with these wealthy people. That tells us perhaps a little bit about how winsomely Paul had witnessed. Don't imagine Paul ever being a ranter. Not marching up and down outside uh, the, uh, the temple of Artemis. Even some of these wealthy unbelievers, they, they like Paul. And they're trying to help Paul and say to him, Don't go. That was the kindness of God. That was God keeping his church. And in verse 35 and following, we're told that the town clerk quietened the crowd. Now, when it says the town clerk, don't think of some uh, low-level civil servant sorting out the invoices and the receipts and writing out a few letters. The town clerk was the main man. He was a high-ranking official. And God was using him to calm this crowd, to give the church peace to give Paul safety and how wise he was and the way he speaks it does the trick. Uh, he says in verse 35, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know it? The city of the Ephesians, his temple keeper of the great Artemis, and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. There was this idea amongst them that uh, the goddess had been delivered right to their city. And the town clerk is like, everybody knows what's right. Of course, it was what was wrong. there's no need for this trouble he says and he goes on to say to them then actually that uh, you've brought these men here in verse 37 who who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess they haven't done art they haven't been standing up shouting out down with Artemis! down with diana kick kick her out Uh, so there was no reason for any charge against these christians and then he warned he warns them as well that This could be settled, verse 39, in the regular assembly, not this irregular gathering. For we are being in danger of being charged with rioting today since there's no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And so the Lord was protecting his church through the Asiarchs and through this town clerk. The gospel of Jesus Christ, true biblical Christianity, wasn't a threat to anyone but rather, it would be a blessing to all. Do you see how Christ keeps his church? Oh, there'll be trouble ahead for the cause of the gospel. Not a prophet, son of a prophet. But you just have to look and to read the newspapers and to see trouble is coming for the Christian church. Did you hear it this week? Uh, Glasgow City in Manchester, and perhaps some other cities in the, in, in England are refusing that a, a world-renowned uh, evangelical preacher will be allowed to preach in any of their buildings. They, Christians wanted to hire some civic buildings, but the civic authorities had heard of this man's Bible understanding and said, we're not having it in any of our buildings. Well, surely there's more to come when the ranting mobs are gathering, and this passage is reminding the church that Christ will keep her even in the midst of difficulties. And this gospel will go out to the ends of the earth and that even the wrath of man shall serve the purposes of god So be filled with confidence christian in the keeping grace of god and his love that his gospel will go out to the ends of the earth well let's sing praise to god as we conclude from psalm 68 <coughs> all you kingdoms of the earth sing praises unto God and worship sing your praises to the one who is the Lord to him who rises in highest heavens and heavens that are abode he's sending out his voice his voice of light unto let's praise God Live out their days for this great King Jesus Christ till he comes or till he calls. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of God, the Holy Spirit, be with you all. Amen. Amen.